two short scripture passages this morning, one from the Hebrew Bible and one from the New Testament. The first comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 18, verses 13 to 19. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people. While the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Jethro, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and the instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You should represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Second reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As he, he being Jesus, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, thank you for this opportunity to be with you in worship once again. This is my penultimate Sunday, so you only have to put up with me once more next week. It's been a joy and a privilege to be with you for this time during August. I also thank God who will forever sustain us in love. So friends, let us be in a posture of prayer together. Loving and living God, may these words from my heart and the meditations of our spirits lift up the empowering, wonder-filled experience of being community. I pray in the name of the one who loved unto death and then loved so much. He loved back into life. Amen. As I've mentioned in the past, Pastor Laura Whitmore and I share something in common. We both grew up in Maine fishing villages. I grew up in the small fishing village of Port Clyde, Maine, on the St. George Peninsula, where I learned that there's something about communities on the coast, a connection that runs deep along with networks of support. So 
I have spoken of poor Clyde in the past, and I offer you this final story about poor Clyde as a way of entering into our reflection together. When I was 13 years old, I was exploring a section of the poor Clyde woods with my three best friends. We heard that there was this old rundown cabin at the end of a small creek, and we set out to find it. At some point during the hike, the creek meandered under a small mossy embankment, so we climbed up over in the hopes of either finding the cabin we were searching for or continuing to traverse the stream. However, on the other side of the embankment, we found neither. So hoping we could pick up our trail once more, we trudged deeper into the main woods. Yeah, it sounds like some of you know it's coming. And because we were scanning the ground for the creek, we didn't notice the thick New England fog that had descended around us, right thick as pea soup, as we say in Maine. When we turned around to make our way out, nothing looked familiar. Or actually more accurately, everything looked exactly the same. Every pine, every fern, every shrub, every stone. We quickly, very quickly realized that we were lost. Lost and alone. Now, being children of the great state of Maine, We knew that when lost, the best thing to do is to stay put, right? So finding a small clearing, we built a fire, we waited for, no, we didn't wait for, we expected that someone was going to find us. And sure enough, 10 hours later, someone did. The father of one of the other three boys who had in fact been lost in that exact same spot 40 years earlier looking for that same cabin. I wonder who planted the seed for our little adventure. (laughs) Notice I'm not naming any names here. It was pitch black when he found us. And he slowly guided us to his truck, parked out on an old logging road. And after we piled into the cab, he steered us out. And from the main road, we drove to the parking lot of the Drift-In Beach, where despite the hour of the evening, or more accurately, the morning at that point, the entire town was waiting for us. To my knowledge, every single resident of Port Clyde was there. And a loud cheer went up as we tumbled out of the pickup. Hugs and firm handshakes were freely given. And for the first time in my life, I realized that every single person in that town knew my name. Someone gave us sandwiches and hot chocolate. Someone else covered us in blankets as other members of the town started telling their own stories about their own harrowing adventures growing up on the coast. And every story ended the same way. 
And then someone from this town helped me. I share this story because it was at this very moment I started to understand what community is like and what it means to share accountability and responsibility. In fact, my dad was the pastor in Port Clyde and as the son of a small town pastor, it was at this very moment that I started to understand what church should be like. We were lost. We were found, we were hungry, we were fed, we were cold, we were wrapped in blankets. We were filled with shame and thought we were alone in this experience. And then others shared similar stories of their own. And here's the thing, it wasn't any one single person who did all of this for us. It was a community effort. Yes, it took coordination to get the word out. Yes, it took a phone call to get all four ambulances, ambuli, ambulances, ambulances, on the peninsula to one spot. And yes, someone did contact the state police who were bringing in a canine unit by helicopter, but I hope that my mom is not watching and remembering that part of the story. At that moment, we not only felt the love of our families, but we felt held by an entire community. My friend's dad may have found us, but he didn't save us. It was the gathered people. That's church. That's church. As a child of Maine who's now an ordained minister and a seminary administrator who trains pastors, trains young people to be pastors, I'm keenly aware of two things. One is that Maine, along with many areas across our nation and the world, is changing dramatically and in a variety of ways. And two, the church writ large is changing dramatically and in ways we don't quite understand yet. The world and the church need communities who get it who get these things, who understand the intricacies, the trials, the anxiety, and the need for an unabashed call for community. Communities that take shape in spaces like this and communities that help shape what happens out there. Because while individuals need places where we can be our most authentic selves, and experience transcendent belonging through God's abundant love and grace, the world also needs community. By showing up here, God reminds and inspires you to show up out there. Now, is there a chance in doing this that you'll feel vulnerable? Perhaps. But if this is not just a safe space that you have created here, but a brave space, and based on my time, I believe it is, I have no doubt that the courage of this community will accompany you and give you courage to make the next leap. This courage requires you to trust that God has work for you to do and will equip you and guide you through the Holy Spirit. Now, along with changes happening around the globe in the church, we're still reeling from a global pandemic. There are students in my program that for the first year and a half did not, had not met each other in 
person, and they're still getting to know each other as they're preparing to graduate. The world is on fire, and there are still embers burning around us. So consider carefully the words Moses receives from Jethro when Jethro realizes Moses is leading on his own. What you are doing is not good, Jethro says. You will wear yourself out, both you and these people, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone, and you must share the burden. The stories tell us that Moses was called by God. But even with a divine call from the Most High God, Jethro was reminding Moses, we have to do it together. And building community of compassionate action, it's challenging. Even for Jesus, even for Jesus, it was challenging. Consider the following with me. In today's passage, we read of Peter and Andrew, at once they left their nets and they followed him, right? We read of James and John. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. It was that easy. Jesus called 12 and 12 said yes, right? Actually, Jesus called at least 14. For example, think about the rich man to whom Jesus says, sell all of your possessions and give your money to the poor and come and follow me. The same line he used with the fishermen. Come and follow me. Does the rich man do it? Can he do it? No. If he could, then there would have been a 13th disciple. Again, just one example. And these 12, the 12 that we talk about so often, after they were called and answered, did they follow Jesus to the bitter end? Did they believe and then pick up Jesus' work when he, where he left off? No. They didn't. At least not at first. Sitting at what we call the Last Supper was Judas, who would betray Jesus. Peter, who would deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And Thomas, who would doubt Jesus. And the other nine, the stories tell us that immediately after Jesus' death, they fled. They ran away. Except the women, who stayed. But that's another sermon for another time. <laughs> So my questions are these, what are you doing together and what will you do together? The church is called to be counter-cultural. Remember all those times Jesus exclaimed, you've heard it said before, but I say to you, these were countercultural declarations. And what is countercultural in a world so fraught with division? Love, right? Love, love with abandon, love without limits, fierce love, abundant love, graceful love, love that builds up, love that's courageous, love that, that's communal, love that births wholeness, love that dwells in hearts and minds. So together in ministry, I invite you to lead with love. 
Because if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, all mysteries and all knowledge, in 21st century lingo, if I am a living Google, and if I have faith that can move mountains, faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Nothing. God's love is doing something, stoking an emergent fire. God is showing up for the lost in the wilderness of life, like my friends and I in those poor Clyde Woods. Together in love, you, friends, you make manifest words that Jesus once shared with a gathered community. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Now, what are you going to do with it? How will you make it bigger? If you start with love and love abides, then in the end, love, God's love, also wins when you are together in your ministry. May it be so. Amen.